Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after. Hello and welcome to The Last Word. My name is JD and today I have with me two special guests, Paulina. I'm glad to be here, JD. And Johnny. I'm gladder to be here, JD. <laughs> You're going to say that. <laughs> well, it is so good to be here on a frosty Monday morning. I am grateful for the change of seasons. Uh, I'm really hoping that this takes hold and we have seen our last like 90 degree day for the fall. Mm. And I really enjoyed getting a chance to be together last Thursday. And a lot of what we talked about were several of Peter's statements when he, as he comes to understand God's heart for the Gentiles. And he really has to come to terms with the way in which God is change, is calling him to change his own heart. And so what I wanted to do for us this morning is just take a look at uh, a couple of Peter's statements and just kind of talk about the implications of his statements and how we maybe see those play out in our lives. And the first statement is found in Acts chapter 10, verse 28. And Peter says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. And oftentimes we today uh, determine clean and unclean. We don't Mm -hmm. uh, make it, well, we don't use those same words, but we oftentimes uh, decide for ourselves who belongs in church and who doesn't and whose deeds are too bad and others are more acceptable. And so what I wanted to kind of ask you guys is how do you guys see that play out um, and what are maybe some implications as we consider uh, who belongs and who doesn't belong? Sure. Yeah. I think that we often can think of the church as more of a gray area rather than a black and white area where it's like, you know, in the old Testament, this is all I think about is uh, how things were unclean and then through different atonements, you know, it would then be made clean. But then whenever Jesus comes, there's, you know, this introduction of this idea that something unclean can just become clean through Jesus and uh, what he's done here on earth. And I think that we can forget that, you know, through Jesus, we are made clean and blameless, you know, in God's eyes. And often we can forget about that and be like, okay, there's certain levels of like, okay, I'm a little more clean than you. Mm-hmm. You're a little less clean than me. And so, it can hurt because, you know, I can look at someone with, you know, like tattoos and like green spiky hair and be like, that person might not know Jesus as much as I do. But in reality, it's like Jesus died on the cross just as much for that guy as he did for me. And I think I can often forget that and try to label, okay, this person's more clean because of their past or because of what they're doing now. And in all reality, it's that, you know, because of Jesus, it's all clean. It's all a clean slate. And Mm -hmm. I think I need to remember that a little more in the church. Yeah, I think it's what you said that we are all people who are all unclean, made Mm -hmm. clean by not our own doing. And I can even see that play out for us individually in ourselves. Like I think in times where I have been in a season or just like sin patterns or just down or feeling away from God, it's really hard to show up to church on those days. And Mm -hmm. I think it's the same, it's a similar thing and the same thing that I can use to disqualify others with judgment on how they can receive God's love or not. Um, I think I can do it. We can do it to ourselves too, just seeing 
that, you know, maybe I'm not worthy of showing up when really the message is the opposite, that we are all unclean and unworthy and Jesus came for us, not the clean. Absolutely. I think that that is a really big key to it is understanding our own sinfulness Mm -hmm. and how we too are not deserving and we have been given a place in this Mm -hmm. community because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so that is the same for me as it is for any other person. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Johnny, we tend to ascribe levels to sin, whereas all God sees in his eyes is sin. Yeah, And so it is not our place then to label clean and unclean. The second uh, statement that Peter makes here in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, is that I truly understand that God shows no partiality. And that kind of is a nuanced sentence for me. Partiality is a weird one, but it's, it, it, as I conceptualize it, it's really thinking about uh, a life of faith with a holier-than-thou mindset, that I am better than someone else based on whatever external characteristic I want to attribute things to. And what becomes clear clear to Peter is to hold those sorts of beliefs that one is better than another is not our right, that ultimately it is God alone who who judges others. And so what I wanted to uh, for us to ponder together is to really think about what the implications of that are and how maybe uh, more specifically, what are the negative side effects of us developing that kind of mindset when we enter into community? Condemnation, I think. Uh, You know, I mean, there's that verse that says, try to outdo each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But we can take that a little too far sometimes. Um, I'm sure at least I can. And thinking, you know, uh, what you're doing for the kingdom of God, you know, is... uh, like any more or less important. And, you know, JD, you gave a sermon one time about this guy that all he did was wash dishes in this, uh, I don't know, some like priestly kingdom place. And yeah, it was no, a monastery. Yeah, yeah. monastery. <laughs> and that no one was going to the priest and he's like, where is everyone? And they were all going to this one guy that was just washing the dishes because he displayed God's love uh, greater than that priest could. And I think that's such a I don't know, convicting story to me that, you know, me thinking that like saying a sermon, you know, can do more works than someone that, you know, is just working at, you know, H-E-B, but really can display God's love a little greater because I think it's important to remember that, you know, everyone knows John 3.16, but right after that, John 3.17 says for, you know, Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I think we need to come in with that mindset because if not, then, I mean, most people are leaving the church because of church hurt and because of judgment. And I mean, we're all human and we need to try to recognize that and try to, you know, avoid that condemnation. Yeah. I keep thinking of, uh, for me growing up and having somebody, my mentor told me that I needed to pray for somebody who has brought a lot of hurt into my life. And Mm -hmm. I was like, are you kidding? Like, I really thought she was like, I don't know. It felt like she was cussing me out almost. Like, do you even know? Did you hear what everything I just said? And I think I think of it now because I think it's a similar challenge as we're in community together and talking about favoritism and judgment that that's how far God's love extends, that it is even for the people that hurt us. You know, it is even for the people we're trying to forgive and the people that honestly, for us who do hurt other people too. And that's, 
I don't know. I just keep thinking that's how far it extends. And it was a really challenging thing, something I hadn't even ever considered in my walk. And I couldn't do it, honestly, at the time. And I had to work through a lot of forgiveness. And God has brought that person to himself and reconciled not everything. It's not perfect, but he has redeemed and is redeeming. And a lot of that is just that's what it's like to be in relationship with each other. And I think it's really flipped from where I was at was, well, I'm good and I know Jesus and that person hurts me. So they're wrong and they're unclean and Mm -hmm. God's love does not extend to them. Like they're doing wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same with people's sin and you know that, yeah, God's love just extends that far. Absolutely. And I think that what we often as sinful and broken human beings want to do is lead with our judgment, whether that's yeah. clean or unclean mm-hmm. or you belong or you don't belong. And we lead from this place of judgment as opposed to this place from mm-hmm. love, trusting that God is faithful to do his work in someone's life. And it's mm-hmm. ultimately not our place to proclaim judgment upon mm-hmm. another person. And in both of those statements, if we drill down on them, really come down and stem from judgment. And so, Paulina, you and I were talking last week, and you were talking, actually, it was a perfect example of this, of how we make judgments, even when we do outreach on campus and we're handing out cards, where we determine who the person who might say yes to coming to Crosstalk is. And those are the people we pursue with a card. And that is an element Mm -hmm. of judgment in our own life, where we are already determining who might want to know about Jesus and who doesn't. And so I wanted to hear from both of y'all kind of what in your own life have been some of the solutions for y'all as y'all seek to love first and to reserve your judgment of people? Yeah, for me, uh, gosh, I think a huge change in my life was when I learned that our job was not to do kind of Jesus's role but rather our job was to point people to Jesus Mm -hmm. and then allow Jesus to, you know, work with the Holy spirit and, you know, transform people's lives. But rather, you know, I feel like I kept on trying to transform people's lives and that that would lead them to Jesus. Mm -hmm. But really that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it takes so much pressure off of yourself, even as a believer to learn that you're just there to point people to Jesus and how you do that is it's so simple. It's to love, you know, and, I mean, the gospel is so simple, a child should be able to understand it. And we make it so complicated in our heads. And we say that people need to come with, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, fixed in their lives in order to, you know, be baptized and accept Jesus and, you know, lead in a church. But in reality, you know, it's just, we need to love people and point them to Jesus Mm -hmm. and, you know, allow him to do the work. He's the miracle worker. And, you know, I'm not. Yeah. Outreach is actually a practical tool for me. Like just really being a part of outreach for, I don't know, a long time now that I've been here, then it's not naturally my gift either. So it's very challenging, but I just realizing all of the things that come to the forefront when you're looking at who to pass out a card from and who's not going to reject you or who's going to come to crosstalk. That's a really practical thing. Um, And I think internally, I think just remembering my story really does help a lot and watching Mm, God transform other people's stories because otherwise I forget how far God has brought me like now I get to live with so much peace and joy from him in a relationship with him. But initially I didn't have that, you know, I was very angry and self-protective and withdrawn and, you know, just maybe not as authentic as I try to be now. And 
so thinking about how far God brought me and how it was because God's uh, because of God's kindness, thinking about even some of the things we do get mixed up on, like just some of the decisions that we make and the convictions that we have. If the convictions, if some of the convictions I had right now, if someone presented them to me the way that my close friends present, like calling me out currently, if someone presented those same things to me before I was following Jesus and said, fix this to come, I would have never come to Jesus (laughs) because that's, you know, like that's not how Jesus leads. He leads with, I mean, the message of the gospel and then he does transform and he, like you said, with the Holy Spirit, um, guides us on how to be transformed instead of the other way around. Like, here's this thing for you to fix and then come. And I think remembering that for me and how I came and what made me feel like I could be safe in a community of believers um, is really key to then me looking outward. It keeps me humble, I think, in my relationships Mm. with others. Absolutely. I mean, I think back on my own story and I was a wreck when I came to know Jesus and if people led with condemnation and judgment in my life, I never would have come to Jesus. I would have walked and turned right away from Jesus. And so I know for me, another piece to this beyond the practical things that you guys have talked about is also praying for God's heart for other people. That when I feel that judgment and that condemnation coming up in my own heart, taking that directly to the Lord and asking me, him to show me how he views that other person as as jose talked about yesterday morning as fearfully and wonderfully yeah. made mm-hmm. and that they are made in the image of god and all of that has done so much for me to transform how we love people well and it also serves as a big um like uh rallying cry for me is how how i would hope that our community loves people that we would uh, truly lead with love and we would allow Jesus to do his work and reserve mm-hmm. that for when Jesus works on their heart. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you guys for being here. We, we have a lot to look forward to mm-hmm. as we talked about last week, really, uh, Peter and Paul are our two main characters in the book of acts. And now this week we are going to, uh, flip the page and we're actually going to go back to the story of Paul. And we're going to be in acts mm-hmm. 13 where, uh, Paul and Barnabas are going off in on the island of Cyprus and Pisidian Antioch, and we're going to begin to see their ministry to the Gentiles as they begin to do their missionary work around the Mediterranean. So mm-hmm. we have uh, a lot to look forward to. Thank you guys for listening, and we will see you guys on Thursday night. Amen. Thank you, guys. Happy Thursday, guys. It's almost Friday. I've been I've been looking forward to the weekend since basically the week started. So that's about how my week has gone. If you guys are new here or you guys haven't been for a long time, my name is JD. I have the distinct privilege of serving as the crosstalk pastor here with Cypress Creek Church. And yeah, I don't know about you guys. I, I get the sense that this has just kind of been a heavy week. It's been a heavy week for me. There's just been a lot of stuff that was unanticipated that's come up throughout this week that has made what was supposed to be an easy, stress-free week into a stressful week where every bit of everything has been planned. And so I come into into this space in desperate need, I think, of just being with the Creator, being with God, understanding more and more His heart for His people. And so that's my hope for tonight, is that we come to understand God's heart for people, 
uh, for all people, for all of humankind. And so as we've seen over the past few weeks, Acts weaves together all of these different narrative strands of the church's mission to the end of the world. And so what we've seen over several weeks is all of these different characters have kind of come in and stepped out and then come back in. And so as a result, oftentimes a narrative of this sort can be a little confusing or for difficult for us to understand. It's not like they start with Peter and you tell all of Peter's story and then you move over and then from Peter, then they tell you of Stephen and then they get done with Stephen and then they go to Paul and you hear Paul's story. All of these things are intertwined and they're kind of popping in and out of the narrative at all of these different times. And it can be really difficult to follow along. Maybe if you guys have missed a week or several weeks, you're just like, I have no idea kind of what's happening. So my hope is that over time, we just come to simplify. And in simplifying this narrative down, and I think in a helpful way for us, is that if we step back and we look at the book of Acts, it really follows the stories of two main characters, the first of which is Peter. Peter is the founder and the leader of the Jerusalem church. And so we see Peter and his story play out throughout Acts. And then the second character who we met last week is Saul, who, who ends up going by the name Paul. And so Paul becomes uh, the person whose missionary journeys took the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And these are really the two main characters here in the book of Acts. And the best way that I can make sense of how these two characters weave together is to relate it to a common movie theme for us. And I have to confess that I have spent way too much time thinking about this this week. I've talked to a lot of people, including people before the service tonight, to make sure that this makes sense. And I feel like I have the perfect metaphor, or at least close to it. Y'all ready for it? The Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings is the perfect metaphor because when you look at the Lord of the Rings, there is a central plot. Destroy the ring and defeat Sauron before he ends the age of men. That is, that is the plot, right? That's the storyline. Now, inside of that storyline, there are really two independent stories that are go, that play into this laughing at me, Miriam. And there are these two independent storylines that touch at points, but largely uh, do their own thing throughout the narrative. And that's the story of Aragorn, Aragorn and the rest of the fellowship who ultimately end up in Minas Tirith and they are going to fight the army of Sauron's orcs at the, at the gates of Mordor. Way more intriguing in my brain than the other storyline. The other storyline is that of Frodo, who's kind of a whiny dude, and Frodo is taking <laughs> and Frodo is taking the ring ultimately to Mount Doom to throw it into the fires where it was created so it can be destroyed. And these two storylines spend most of the the three movies or the books, however you decide to to read or watch. And most of the time, these are independent storylines, but they come together at really key points in that, in that story that launches off back in their own direction. Now, I think that both Peter and Paul, this is kind of how this works. So if, if we're taking this in terms of the Lord of the Rings, then we can view Peter as Aragorn, right? And then you got Paul who is Frodo in this sense. And so these two are coming together at key points in the history of the early church and then going out in their separate ways. Peter largely staying in the city of Jerusalem while Paul is taking his missionary journeys and he is 
starting to plant these churches all over the Mediterranean. So that's, that's my metaphor. Did it make sense? I feel like I'm proud of it. So if it didn't make sense, please don't tell me. I've spent way too much time thinking about this. But on a more serious note, what, what we see is that both men, Peter and Paul, are prophets who are much like Jesus in the sense that they have this divine mission and calling from God in different places, but they act with a similar amount of authority and effectiveness for the kingdom of God going forward. And what we see is that at the end of chapter 9, which we talked about last week, Saul departs to prepare for his future, future mission to the Gentiles, which God has revealed to him. And here in chapter 10, we come back to Peter's story, and it resumes the story of Peter in describing his mission beyond the city of Jerusalem and also, also setting the tone for what will be Paul's mission to the Gentiles. And so if you guys want to turn to Acts chapter 10, that's where we're going to start today. And it says that here at, at the city of Caesarea, we meet a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius is a centurion, so a soldier, and he's a Gentile. And it says that Cornelius was a devout man who feared God along with all of his household, and that he gave money to the poor, and that he prayed continually to God. And one night he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say, Cornelius. Simply speak his name, and then the scripture tells us that Cornelius stares at him in terror. And he says, what is it, Lord? What is it, Lord? And now he, the angel says to him, your prayers and your gifts have ascended as a memorial before God. They've ascended as a memorial before God. In, in essence, they are pleasing to God. And so he says, and now send men to the city of Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel spoke to him had departed, what he does is he takes two of his servants and he takes one of the soldiers who is under his command and he tells them all about this vision that he has had and he sends them off to Joppa to go find Simon Peter. And what we're about to see once again is uh, the way that a double vision works in the book of Acts to get two independent people who don't know each other on the same page. So two independent people receive a vision from God that tells them of how, basically how their futures are going to collide. And that same page that they're going to get on is God's ultimate divine plan and calling for their life. In chapter nine, which we talked about last week, both Saul and Ananias had separate visions about the same future that ultimately brought them together that really created the impetus for who Saul is going to be for the rest of his life, that's going to be the, the outworking of his divine calling from God. And here again, Cornelius and Simon, who is called Peter, will also have these visionary experiences that communicate God's will for their individual lives. And Cornelius' response to the angel is the same as Saul's in chapter nine to Jesus. What is it, Lord? And the answer means that he ultimately lacks understanding. He lacks understanding of who is before him. And so what the vision does is it gives him that understanding so that he can begin to act in ways that are in line with God's plan. And so we're gonna pick up the story here in verse nine. And it says, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up 
on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let, in, let down by four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened to him three times and the thing was at once taken up to heaven. Okay, to put this in more easily understood terms, picture this with me. There's a giant picnic blanket which comes out of the heavens and lands right here in the middle of the room. And here on this picnic blanket, it says that there are all kinds of birds and it says that there are animals and reptiles. And the reptiles, I'm not gonna lie, kind of weird me out. Like the idea of reptiles as food kind of weirds me out, but that's what's here on this picnic blanket. And the angel comes down and he stands next to Peter and he says, eat it, Peter, it's here, it's all for you. Eat this. And what Peter says, he's like, no, I'm not gonna eat that because I am a devout Jew. And all of those foods that are represented on this picnic blanket for us are unclean foods for a Jew to eat. And he says, I am a devout Jew. I will not eat those foods. I never have. It's against the law for me to eat those foods. And this happens to him, it says three times this happens. And then all at once, this picnic blanket, apparently with all of the animals and the reptiles and the birds, just ascends back up into heaven and it's gone. And the general role of visions, which we talked about in the book of Acts, is ultimately for a prophetic purpose. And what I mean by a prophetic purpose is that it, mean, that it calls a specific person for a specific task in a specific place. A prophetic purpose. This is God's ultimate calling for a person, and it's supposed to give them direction. It's here to give them direction. And so it's, where do I go? What do I do? That's kind of where we're getting to. And so what we think about here is with this vision, okay, what does it mean? And what we can understand through Peter's vision is that what was formerly common and unclean is now clean. That's the ultimate purpose. What was, what was common and unclean is now clean. And for those of us who are thinking critically as, as readers, Peter's vision concerns his mission to fulfill God's purpose for the unclean Gentiles and invite them into the kingdom of God. That is what we're supposed to glean from all of this, that what was unclean is now clean. And that's what we're gonna see work out throughout the rest of chapter 10. Let's hop back in, in here in verse 17. And it says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry of Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one whom, for whom you are looking. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, 
was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in to be his guests. The Holy Spirit's word to Peter here serves both a theological and a practical end in this story. Look, three men are searching for you. In a very practical sense, Peter's evidently lost in his thinking and pondering of the meaning of his own vision, and he doesn't hear that the men are knocking at the door. This is not unlike what a regular occurrence in my household where Taylor says, were you listening to me? And in my own ignorant pondering and in my own thought process, I had no idea that she was even speaking to me. And so that's the, that, is what's, that is the picture that we're getting here of Peter, that he is so wrapped up in his own thoughts and in his own thought process that he doesn't even realize that there's somebody knocking at the door. He doesn't realize that there are people calling and wanting to talk to him. And so there's your practical purpose. And if we're thoughtful readers, we see that the Spirit's intervention here to ensure Peter meeting these people means that we can expect that those who stand at the door knocking will somehow bring Peter understanding in his vision. Otherwise, the Spirit wouldn't have intervened. Further, the Spirit's instruction to Peter to go with them, for I have sent them, indicates that the message these men bring are a part of God's purpose for Peter. It gives him the direction for that divine calling. And we as the reader must now assume or understand that Peter is beginning to understand what God is calling him to, that he's starting to pick up on the meaning of the vision that he saw and has accepted the prospect of a Gentile mission as a feature of God's divine plan for all of humanity. And it says then that the next day he arose and he went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. So all of these people have gathered to hear Peter. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. We see in that sentence that he's starting to pick up on the meaning of his vision. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And what Cornelius does at this point in time is he recalls the vision that he received from the Lord. He tells Peter, I saw an angel and he came before me and he called my name. And what he told me was that my offerings, that my prayers had been heard and remembered before God. And then he, the angel told him to send to Joppa to ask for Simon, who was called Peter, who was staying at a house also who, with a guy named Simon. It's all very confusing, who lives by the sea. And so that's what I did. That's what I did. I sent these, these three people to come and find you. Now, you've been kind enough to come. And his last line is he says, now they are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Talk about putting pressure on somebody. You just thought you got called to be a house guest for someone and you walk in and there's a whole crowd of people. And then the guy who invited you over is like, now say something. You have something to say, right? That would be a miserably like uncomfortable position for me. 
that if somebody called me over and I didn't know, I thought we were just going to go hang out. And then there's an entire room full of people and they're like, now say something. Tell me what the Lord says. And you're like, what, what do I do with that? And so the verse 34 says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. For the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. And from that moment on, what Peter does is he explains the entire gospel story. He explains the life of Jesus. He says, that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then he went about doing good and healing people who were possessed by the devil. And for God himself was with Jesus. And the apostles are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they ultimately put Jesus to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to a select few who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He's talking about himself and the rest of the apostles right here. And he commanded those apostles to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That last sentence gets me. Because what he's saying here is that all scripture testifies to God's promise of salvation, which has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So that everyone who believes in him and calls on his name will receive the forgiveness of sins. So he proclaims the gospel message to these people who are gathered to listen. In verse 44, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. One scholar I was reading referred to this moment as the Gentile Pentecost. And we studied the Pentecost in Acts chapter two, where the Holy Spirit comes down upon all of these Jews in Jerusalem and they begin, they're filled with the Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues and they do miraculous things. Well, that's the exact same thing that's happening here with this group of Gentiles. And this event confirms God's plan to allow Gentiles to experience the blessings of salvation in Jesus Christ. And it also really paves the way for the rest of the narrative when we begin to see Paul's mission to, to the surrounding world sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's something really surprising about this incident. We see that the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard Peter's words. And the surprising element is that repentant Gentiles share the same gift of the Holy Spirit equally with repentant Jews, that the Gentiles now have received the same thing that has been given to the Jews. And the conclusion that Peter draws from their common experience of this 
indwelling of the Holy Spirit is that these Gentiles belong just as fully to the kingdom of God as the Jews who have come to know Jesus. That these Gentiles belong just as fully to the kingdom of God as those Jews who have responded to Jesus. And this is only surprising if we understand who the Gentiles were. The, the meaning of the word Gentiles, anyone who is not an ethnic Jew, anyone who isn't an ethnic Jew, which for most of us probably includes almost everyone in this room, unless you have Jewish heritage, we would be considered Gentiles. We were not a part of God's chosen people. And you see, if we start in the Old Testament, we see that God chose the nation of Israel to be his special possession, his holy nation, a holy priesthood. And this entire story of the Old Testament is uh, how God has acted to bring his chosen people back to him. So for someone outside of that chosen people to be included in the kingdom of God is a seismic shift in the biblical narrative. It is a massive shift. That Jesus Christ did not just die for the Jewish people, but he died for all people for all time. That is the implication of this moment. And as we see salvation now offered to the Gentiles, I want to pull out two key sentences from Peter here in this story, and I want to talk about the implications for of those for us today. And the first of which is in verse 28. Peter says that God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean, or common or unclean might be your translation. God's purpose is to bring salvation is to bring us as believers into an understanding of his will so that we may be of use in his kingdom. That is the, that's kind of his purpose. And the, the conversion of Cornelius takes Peter by surprise. But not because God decides at the last minute to save uncircumcised Gentiles. If we really paid attention to the Old Testament, we, we can see that the fingerprints of this moment are written all over the Old Testament from God's promise to Abraham. Yet, for all of his spiritual authority, Peter still did not get it. In his religious narrow-mindedness, what he does is he divides people into clean and unclean. Peter divides people into clean and unclean, and ultimately God's redemptive purpose for the Gentiles could not be realized until Peter changed his mind. And so what he says there in that verse is that God changed his mind. And those same words are key for us today as we seek to find our way in loving those around us. We need to ask God to show us, to impress upon us, to work in our hearts, and to bring us into a new understanding of the truth that there is no one that we are going to encounter in this life who is too dirty or too unclean for the love of God. That is the reality. That there is no one in this life that we will encounter who is too unclean or too dirty to be deserving of God's love. We live in an incredibly divisive society right now. And that doesn't just mean the culture around us, that's also in our churches. And if we're ever going to see unity in the church or in society as a greater whole, I believe that it starts when we are willing 
to see the inherent value in other people. When we begin to see the inherent value in other people, to recognize that God deeply loves and cares for that person, that he created him in his own image. And this is to set down our judgmental self and not to focus on other people's faults, which is a far easier thing to do. The second statement I really want to hone in on is found in verse 34, where Peter says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. The biblical idea that we are somehow special or more deserving of God's love cultivates this dangerous belief that God did not therefore choose or love or sacrifice himself in the same way for other people. And this is to develop a a holier-than-thou mindset, that we are somehow religiously superior to another person. And those believers who think themselves among God's special or deserving people are often inclined to develop this theological basis that thinks that God has not chosen anyone else who disagrees with them based on their uh, beliefs or customs. And it is in that space that we pin labels on those people in an effort to disenfranchise them. We say that somebody is too liberal, that they're too conservative, that they're too charismatic, that they're too reformed, that they're a woman or they're black or they're gay or they're, uh, they're divorced. Any number of things you can insert into that, into that space. And what has become crystal clear to Peter is that to hold those sorts of beliefs is not his right or anyone else's. It is only God's that it is God who judges the living and the dead. And one of the most surprising features of the book of Acts is the diversity of people God calls to be included among God's people, all of whom are symbolized by Cornelius in this story. And if we drill down to the root of both of those statements, we see that both of them stem from judgment. Peter judged and had preconceived notions both about God's heart and about other people. He determined people to be clean or unclean. He determined people to be worthy or unworthy. And here we see God show Peter that those judgments are not of him. God shows Peter that his heart is for all people. That Jesus came and died on that cross for all of mankind, not for some to the exclusion of others, but all. And it's in that space, the humility that comes when we set down our judgment, that we realize that we are all deeply broken and hurting people in desperate need of a Savior. And I believe that it's only out of that space that we really can begin to love people that we really can become the people that God has called us to be, to make a difference in an ever more divisive world. The world needs more people of God willing to set aside their judgments and differences for the sake of loving other people. So my prayer is that the Lord deeply impresses upon us the same thing that he taught Peter. And I pray that we may come to know the heart of God for all people. And that through this story, we may come to see the width of God's love. That God's love spans race and creed and background and socioeconomic status and class. 
And I believe that if we are truly to be the people of God, we need to be active in demonstrating that sort of love to the world around us. So let us be people who are known for how loving and inviting we are, not how exclusive and judgmental we are. Amen? Let me pray. Thanks again for tuning in to the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Make sure you are following Crosstalk on social media at Crosstalk underscore TXST. If you have any questions for the Crosstalk team, you can send us a message on those pages. We will see you here again next week.